Hello, citizens of the Imperium, and welcome back to Siege Season. This is the second episode, The Solar War, Part 2. I'm your host, Singh. With me, as always, my venerable Sigilite, Varela. Varela, how are you? I'm doing just fine, except a little bit of a cough, so if you stop hearing me suddenly, that's probably it. <laughs> that's okay. Luckily, I can talk for both of us, as we all know. As usual. <laughs> as usual. Um, so, yes, today we are going to be looking at the second half of Solar War and sort of rounding it up as a book as a whole. The first entry into the Siege of Terror. Varelli, we've now read the whole book. We, we've gone up to chapter 10 in episode 1. We've gone all the way to the end now. What do you make of Horus's opening gambits to take the solar system? Uh, I, I think I think uh, he could have done better. I think the defense could have been better. Uh, they they kind of threw away a lot of uh, key assets. By that I mean the Falcon Fleet. Come on, guys! What the hell, man? Just let us be in the damn siege, dude. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. I just I just want to have more of us on this siege. Well, who, dude. who really? Yeah. I mean, to be fair though. That was kind of, we'll get into it, but I mean, I feel like that was actually Rogal Dawn letting the Scars do what they want to do. Yeah, yeah, that's so I fair. I don't know if there's too much room there. <laughs> they did do it well. Yeah, they could have done They could have done it well. Um, Wait, what do you mean they could have? Hold up. <laughs> um, but the book as a whole, what do we think? We've sort of, this is your first Siege of Terror book. We've done a lot of Horus Heresy books. Where are we at? Uh, I think there's too much yellow, actually. Uh, there could be a little bit less yellow. Uh, okay. but... <laughs> no, no, I'm joking. It, it, it's two episodes great, in and I'm Rella, if, it, if, you're, if you're having trouble now, it's over. It's over. The next book is okay, but then three and four are full of them. Uh, you know, it's not. There's not going to be any less yellow from you now gotta, on. You got to let me get it out now. Then you know you, you got to let you got to let me get it like out now. Let you get it out through the entire Horus Heresy. <laughs> I think is probably like any time, and some and one of a few most I, you know like thirty three. Well, no, probably like two thirds of a time because let's face it, we did three things that really covered the Imperial Fist. It was Crimson Fist, and we both had to go at Pollux. It was Pharos, where we both had to go at Pollux, and then there's Praetorian of Dawn. Which we both kind of liked, and you specifically liked one of the main Imperial fists in it, and then he yeah, died. they killed him. Yeah, but that's what makes it the Horus Heresy, the last beacon of hope for the Imperial fists, and they will go and kill him. Well, let's see, shall we? Because I mean, why don't you say something nice about John French's work that he spent ages? Yeah, I, I, I was gonna say like it is a really good book. I really, really enjoyed it. I have it in my hand right now. Uh, you know it. The art is great as well on the book, you know. Uh, it's got it's got a lot of yellow. Uh, two, there's but, three imperial fists on here. Uh, I actually I actually scratched them out of a permanent marker. Uh, That's not very nice. Really painted them <laughs> white. <laughs> Just made them white scars. Yeah, but Rogel Dorn would still be gold, man. Like I I, I drew a little mustache on him. Oh, you That's about him it. Facial. Your team yeah. Dorn facial hair. Yeah, yeah. We yeah, just, yeah. <laughs> I know why that is as as well, and we were discussing that before the episode, but I won't drag it out. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is an absolutely great start to the siege. Um, I think it's better than solid. I think it's better than good. I think it's a great book. Um, I think it really sets the precedent for how epic everything is going to be in scale. This is, and this is something I think we're going to see as we go through the siege, Rella. Is this is thirty k turning into forty k? 
So the absurdity of everything is is now there. Um, you know, gone are yeah. the days of sort of conventional, normal within the Great Crusades size of battle. This is the the gloves are off now. Um, Abaddon is going to try and steal the moon, which was uh, your prediction at the end of part one. Um, <laughs> Abaddon and Lyak are going to go and try and steal the moon. Um, so yes, the the book is is absolutely great. Um, it's going to get better from here as well, which you know you'd be hard pressed to do. I think about after this opening, it's got quite some emotional aspects towards the end as well. Quite some some quite sad moments, some quite awesome moments. Um, especially if you're an Imperial Fist fan. And other White Scars, definitely sad moments if you're a White Scars fan. And um, It's awesome as well, right? He, he, it is he, awesome as well. He it's did be proud nonetheless. It was a hell of a manoeuvre. So, Varela, let's not waste any time. What's the score on the door? Uh, I, 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 do think, I do think most of these books are going to break the nine barrier, right? I, I don't know if you agree with I me. think if you, if, you, if you want, you know, to be a little bit harsher... Just to give yourself some room, I think it's okay. This is the final stretch. This has been many, many. It's been decades in the making. So if you want to be a little bit harsher, so that you can sort of grow your ratings, if you want to just show the love, that's also fine. So take it whichever way you want and be true to yourself. I mean, I feel like there's two ways to go about it. I feel like either this is going to be the standard. And if we set this as a standard, I would have to go with a five, right? Just to keep it round and then just go up or down from there. Oh, no. Or like as an objective measure, you know, I'd probably give this a nine, like just a, a flat nine, no decimals. I know a little bit of heresy on my part. I'm sorry, guys. No decimals, nine. Just, just it there. Just break, breaks that standard for a nine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I am. Uh, I appreciate the honesty of how you're going to go about this. I'm going to go with a show the love route. Because I do love a series, and I think, I you know, yes, I'm I'm up to date as of as of this episode coming out, and that's the whole gimmick of how we're going through these. So I know how good it's going to get, and I think there's still going to be lots of wriggle room if I give this also a nine. No messing about. Let's agree. This is a, this is what would make a great book. So um, within the context of the Horace Heresy, and Man, we're gonna. I think you're gonna be. We're gonna be putting some gold stars on thumbnails again by the end of this. <laughs> let me tell you. Um, but it's not all that, about us. Sorry, go on. Sorry, sorry. The, the, right now, this is that meme uh, where there's two really muscled guys shaking hands, and one <laughs> hand is mine with white armor, the other hand's yours with yellow armor. <laughs> rating really high on siege books. That's just the caption. That's true. <laughs> that could be some good artwork for merch, actually. Um, not, oh. the, not no text, but the. A yellow and white power armored hands clasped. Also, it's from Predator. That gif. Ah, okay, that okay, okay. It's from it's Arnold and I f- I forget the other guy's name. I'm sorry, but um, from uh, Predator. Dylan, you and then and then he says a naughty word. Um. Anyway, let's see what everyone else has to say about this whole siege thing, rather. Um, because. We've got Thursday ratings back. That's how we're doing it. Because we don't want to spoil spoil it for our dear friend Varela here. So second uh, second episode, we bring in Thursday ratings to see what everyone thought. So 
now full disclaimer the discord ones are really long again it's super appreciated all the love you've got guys um just we we don't want to we don't want to have to take up too much of the episode purely focusing on all your great ratings so if you can it's a small request just to try and bring the size down a little bit of some of these ratings just so that we can get more love in there more ratings and then we can talk even longer about what everyone has to say um which i think is the heart and soul of what we do so i tell you what varela i'll run us to save your voice a little bit i'll run us through we'll do a twitter one and then a discord one but we can alternate the discord ones okay so that i don't destroy you before i mean i can just do the twitter ones instead um have you got twitter open that's absolutely yeah yeah, i do i do i'll I'll do the discord ones yeah yeah yeah. we we can still alternate you know but absolutely send send us with a twitter one my starting all right, all right we got mountainside tabletop here uh saying this novel did a great job of setting the table for the rest of the siege and demonstrating the massive scale of the conflict that made me fall in love with french's writing style the paragraph describing abaddon's speed and his skirmish with lyak stuck out as some really oh wait it keeps going beautiful prose my only wish is that the refugee crisis aboard the antias had a chance to slow burn into a more cathartic uprising slash revolt overall a solid start to the series 7.849 out of 10 Excellent decimal place usage. Clearly someone who watches, who's listened to a lot of a show. And then we've thrown it back in everyone's faces and just done a flat number. <laughs> Oops. Um, I'm sure it'll change. I, I, I can't wait for End of the Death 2 is, is going to be the longest. It's going to be like a custody's name. There's so many decimal places. Each thing we like about it, we add another decimal place. Yeah. So I'm going to go with um, Real Snices. Uh, Thursday rating now from Discord. So Real Snice says, The Solar War is an interesting one. French does an amazing job opening the Siege of Terror and I can hardly fault some areas that I find to be weaker. As as a naval warfare fan, this is a great opener. However, as one of the few that wishes the Siege was actually more books instead of less, I think the opening act of the Solar War could have been two books. One which focuses on the opening battles happening across the solar system and a second that only focuses on the on focuses once the warp has its way and shows that no matter how well Dawn prepared for the siege, the traitors are bringing weapons and tactics that he literally would never have considered. Um, Real Snice says he wants more siege books. I'll give you one guess as to what legion he plays on the tabletop. Wait, was that for me? Um, let me. Uh, Ultramarines? No, wait, wait, no, so, no, no. So okay, that they okay. can, so that they it, can it, not it, get there for more. No, books? so they can get there, I guess, or like their voyage can be described. I, I'd assume. I'm guessing he's imperial fist. That's yes. the real. That's the real yes, problem. Pro- I like yeah. the, uh, I like the out the box thinking, but yeah, well within the box today. Anyway, he continues. Sorry, they continue. I find the white scars arc to be a little uh, shallow, and I wish we had a few more examples of Jubel showing just how worthy he is of his title and adoration. He's saying all the right things for Varela here. It's nice. Um, the average reader may actually gain additional respect for Abaddon if he dispatched opponents that are shown to be truly exceptional on their own. That being said, we see some truly impressive scenes and plot points that actually left me surprised. Sigismund and Ran are fantastic. and I found the Sons of Horus inductii to be an interesting viewpoint that added a lot of character 
to a traitor forces, even if he doesn't last very long. Yes, we talked about that in the uh, first episode. And Inductio, I have been given a, a lot more fleshing out through the Siege of Caphonia book, Varela, this new campaign book. Um, sort of the new unit that every Legion has got access to in that book is sort of Inductii. And they're not necessarily worse. They're sort of these space marines that have been rushed through the course of the heresy. And each Legion ha- Inductii have a different little perk or way of playing, um, which is cool. Yeah, they're just new soldiers, I assume. Like Yeah. Yeah. And they have all different ways of some some uh some I think so I think the World Eaters ones, they literally are just just get brain implants of, of like previously dead world eaters. So they just run off of exper- of like previous experiences of other fighters. They never they never get any real training. They just work off of instinct. Hey, if it works, it works, bro. <laughs> exactly. Uh, he continues, That being said, we see some truly impressive scenes and plot points that actually left me surprised. Sigismund and Ran are, fa- are fantastic, and I found the Sons of Horus to... Uh, sorry, um, we said that. The closing act is great, but again, felt a bit rushed. I wonder if it would have also benefited from a part two instead of being crammed into a single opening tomb. While some may find Loken's continuation in the HH to be exhausting... I am thrilled to see him around and clearly on a path to end up in an event that was foreshadowed by the opening line of Horus Rises. We'll get to Loken in a minute. But in conclusion, French did great things with this book. It, its issues are from challenges that I doubt he had any control over and fitting so much to get the reader and countless characters across the legions to terror is an achievement in its own 8.59 out of 10. Love that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, John, John's got... Gotta walk away so happy with his book because he's first, right? He's he's kicking it all off. This book has to start strong, and I think he's really done his research. Um, do you want to hit us with another Twitter? Brother? Yeah, let's go for it. We got Xanthrodox86 saying a solid eight. Abaddon was an incredibly annoying Mary Sue, but what else is new? And th- that's it. Uh, was he uh, a Mary Sue? I, I don't I don't quite remember that. I think. Um... I think perhaps it depends how you want to see it with Abaddon, right? And we'll get into this in a little bit, but some food for thought now is more like, is it that he's just become really powerful now or is it sort of showing how far he's progressed? Because let's face it, he's got to make a jump pretty soon from 30k to 40k. He's Whether you want to call him Failbaddon or not in 40k, he's got to get a lot stronger pretty soon. Right, so at the end of the day, a white scars Khan, no matter how talented, needs to be light work for this guy at this point, right? Dude, you know, it wasn't quite it? light work. Come on. Well, I mean, it's like two pages. I mean, it's it sets a, it's it's sort. Of, do you understand what I'm saying? It's kind of it's just establishing him as 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 a very strong character now. Right, so, like if he if he goes through the siege, nearly getting beaten by everyone he fights, that's not that's not really going to work that well. Going turning him into the into the character he is in forty k. To be honest, in my opinion, I think he was established as a really strong character straight up in the first three books. Like Loken is shown to be, um, an incredibly powerful. Powerful isn't the right word, but you know what I mean. He's shown skilled. to be incredibly skilled, incredibly strong. You know, like he beats Lucius with a single swipe. You know, he just punches the guy in the face. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, he's respected by a bunch of uh, legionaries that we know and love that are also extremely skilled and extremely strong, you know. And uh, Abaddon just kind of, you know, backhand slaps him and, you know, he's just done. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I think he's always been very strong and he doesn't necessarily need a show of force. I, I think it's more that, you know, he does get rough roughed up a little bit in, in that segment that we're talking about here. Mm. Um, it, it's just that, you know, in any battle, just one mistake can cost you your life and it, it happened there, you know? Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think that's a fair way of looking at it. So, without that, without further ado, we'll move on to Captain Magma. So, Solar War has definitely a special place in my heart. Around 2020, I was burned out on Horace Heresy books and read only 40k novels or other fiction. But then I discovered the official website of A Siege of Terror, which many don't even know exists. Uh, I well. <laughs> no, you didn't. And I mean, if you have, if you want some really interesting interviews, that is the place to go. Every at the time, every contributing author that was announced in the initial lineup did a big interview and so did Nick Kime, who's kind of a guy bringing it all together as an editor, um, as one of the editors, sorry. So yeah, I mean, that's a, a great website and you can get all the maps on there. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm looking at it right now. There's all, all the maps here. That's yeah. Be that's careful awesome. though. Don't look at the maps. What do you mean? Don't look, look at the maps. The books. The spoiler How books. Spoiler the books? They're maps. Well, they'll show you what's happened in the series. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm not looking it's, at the maps. I'm not looking at the maps. Sorry. Sorry. I didn't mean to exclaim, but it's, it, the maps show the development of the situation and also potentially who's where or other major events. And I wouldn't want you to lose out on us. I wouldn't want you to have spoiled a single thing, Varela. Okay, okay, okay. It. So thank I'm, you, thank you. I will. I'm, apologies for my metaphorical Mr. Presidenting there. <laughs> um, I just wanted to protect you um, because it's going to be so good. It's going to be such a good series. Um, so apologies, carrying on with Captain Magma and all the stuff there, the artworks of the key characters of every books and the interviews got me hooked again and I ordered Solar War and Lost in the Damned. And holy hell, Solar War is a phenomenal opener for the Siege of Terror series. I will not write a general review of a book, rather I'm going to highlight several key stories and scenes that completely sold the book for me. Okay, strap in. There's obviously a lot of spoilers coming in here um, if you've made it this far. First one, the scene where Jagatai Khan visits Sukasan in her quarters. John French not only perfectly manages to write how different Primarchs and normal humans would interact, he also brings out how the Khan is so uneasy about his role in the siege that he will play. And I loved how the scene started with Khan, the Khan knocked on Sukasan's door and she grabbed her shotgun because she knew nobody would visit her normally during this time. Imagine she would have blasted the Khan with a shotgun in his face just because he wanted to talk, talk with her about Dawn. I think he could take it, right, Barella? Uh... Give me a minute. I was looking at something because I had to. Where, where, where are we maps? exactly? I, no, no. Just checking. Uh, I was just saying the Khan, uh, Sukasan, if she'd shot Khan in the face accidentally, would he have survived? I think he would have dodged it. I think you would have seen her trigger finger. No, no, you would have seen her trigger finger going, like, you know, all the way down, and you would have just stepped aside. Yeah. You got that Primark in him. Um, yeah. Another great part is that John French really highlights all the different commanders on both sides that play their role in the Solar War. <coughs> Unfortunately, you really made a mess about that in the first part of the podcast. <gasps> Criticism. 
unacceptable. Review ended. <laughs> no more. <laughs> and Hammer. Um, yes, I mean, I mean that's fair. We we don't really make notes. You, if you've listened for, to us for a while, you you know what this is about. Um, so yeah, all the different commanders of the spheres and the different little fleets. Absolutely. Um, but I knew where Camber Diaz was, and that's all that matters. Um, <laughs> they raise a really good context. Who is in charge of this early part of a conflict? Okay, it's going to get broken down for us again, Varela. I think it was just like we were trying to visualize everything again because we'd um, it had been a minute since we'd actually done the reading we needed to do. So Sigismund defends the first sphere on, on Pluto and Horus Aximin is on the other side of this initial attack, commanding from the ship throne of the underworld. Great name. The attack on the warp gate on Uranus is led by Perturabo, so the big commander himself is at charge here. And one other part that really wrenched my guts was the Mercedes Ollerton story arc in this book. Ollerton was always a character that stood in Euphratekila's shadow because she wasn't a saint, but just a simple woman that fell into this horrible world and terrifying conflict. And here, uh, her relationship with Loken bordered often on simping. Um, I mean, I would, perhaps a little bit more complex than that, I would say, but um, uh, an iconic mode of storytelling in the original trilogy wasn't it um mercedes yeah. and logan's conversations and uh mercedes trying to find the, the astartes point of view in everything which was quite good like when um horus is injured on davin and the embarkation deck incident stuff like that um are, are sort of parts of the horus heresy that will stick with me forever um her story in the book, her part, her story in this book was so sad for me. She was in the middle of this gigantic war and just tried to survive without even knowing what is happening. And then she has the feeling that she has to talk to Dawn, but she was abused by chaos all along. And shortly after she was finally reunited with Loken, she realized that she ruined everything and brought destruction and Samus himself to the phalanx and that she realized she has to end her own life. Damn, that hit me really hard. Samesies. John French really... Uh, Connected well here, Solar War with Horus Rising, using Oliton, Loken, and Samus, or killing a character that no one really expected. And last point, the Inductive of Sons of Horus were a really interesting addition because it explains how the Legions can still wage hashtag war uh, on this massive scale, despite of the horrible losses during all of those battles. The Sons of Horus lost a third of their Legion on Isvan 3 and 5, so there's uh, space means sort of had to be replaced over the war. Nine thrones of the underworld out of ten. He's named it after Sons of uh, Little Horus's ship. Sounds like it might be a Little Horus fan. Um, thank you. It was a brilliant uh, Thursday rating there. Um, absolutely right. We'll try and discuss Oliton towards the end of this episode. And um, uh, another prediction that didn't come quite come to fruition for Varela there. Um, Varela, Varela also would have brought himself to the phalanx, it seems. And <laughs> Amazon was on board uh, looking back at episode one do you want to hit us with another twitters yeah let's go for it uh we got urge artifacts here with an 8.5 out of 10 fantastic book and intro to the siege and despite that this is my fifth ranked book out of the series not counting the novellas missing despite the 8.5 so <laughs> yeah. you're you're more critical than i am i can't do it <laughs> Um, fifth ranked, fifth ranked book. I'm just trying to think of how many there. Are. I mean, that's the problem with this series, Rella, Is it just kind of gets to the point where every book became my favorite book, one after the other. So it was just kind of like this of no, and it was no one's fault. It was just that every 
book in release order was better than the last, um, almost, for the most part. So, um, yeah, have fun trying to do ratings for all of these. Um, yeah, I can't, I can't, I can't relate. You know, Path of Heaven exists, my beloved. <laughs> do you want to hit us with another Twitters? Uh, yeah, sure. Let's go for it. Uh, we got Roll to Save uh, from save podcast i'd give it a seven the description of the space battles were exciting and sigismund's chapters were fantastic but the traitor's whole plan gets a bit muddled and a bit uh quote and they are successful because of magic unquote uh, yeah. i mean yeah doesn't it end up being from the imperial fists uh, like point of view and isn't that essentially what it was at least to dorn dorn was like ah oh, there's no way they'll break through that quick and then they go like haha we have a portal yeah, yeah. I mean, I think in a sort of conventional conflict, Dawn's still not like holding this. It's the, the pure weight of numbers is like immeasurable, right? And, you know, the phalanx is, I mean, it depends how much we're counting, right? Because if Samus doesn't get on the phalanx and the phalanx is fully operational, potentially whatever. But yeah, I mean, they're, they're really one of the key as you say one of the key problems here is dawn not being let in on um uh on on the warp stuff right and he's just because i don't i think that would just fry his brain because he's all about prep right and if you suddenly drop a curveball that like oh but by the way none of his prep might matter it's just kind of like that's just gonna fry his little his little brain yeah, you can't you can't resist the <laughs> the information. Um, I'm gonna go with Lefty Wefty here on Discord. So he says the Solar War is a great uh, start to the siege because it nails two very important aspects: scale and character deaths. French has previously put the work in with the Praetorian of Dawn and Slaves to Darkness to establish the Solar defenses and the disposition of traitor legions in the mind of the reader the action we get as the traitors arrive in advance through the solar system is exciting titanic in scope and most importantly clearly plotted and described a sense of mounting dread and horror is an important aspect of the heresy series and french sets the tone for the following books that is reinforced by the other key element of the book's success the fact that french is unafraid to kill off significant characters Lots of people die in this story, both long-running series favourites and newly introduced red shirts. Characters die in emotional and heroic send-offs, while others perish unfairly and with little dignity. Inductee eye. Uh, a willingness <laughs> to not pull punches in this opening to the series finale tells the reader that the Siege series means business, even if the later instalments don't share the same desire to axe beloved characters. I mean, can neither confirm or deny that. I mean, that's just... As has Lefty's opinion, because confirming or denying any of that sort of stuff would clearly be a spoiler for later books. Um, and I want Varela on his toes. Don't worry, Varela. <laughs> People you care for in this book series are going down in this book series. Um, so no one is safe. And then Lefty off the ends with, I give the Solar War nine extremely bored Imperial Fist librarians sitting in a box uh, room out of ten. Yeah, I mean... I found it hilarious that when the new Horace Heresy librarian model was revealed the other month, they used an Imperial Fist color scheme. You know, you're trying to sort of figure <laughs> out 
trying to big up this massive conflict that you turn into a game system and you've painted the librarians up as the one legion that locked their librarians in a room until the final three months of the war. Yeah, and they only had like three of them. <laughs> yeah, they, they already hated them clearly to start with because they were, it did not compute. Um, and so hardly had any. And then, yeah, then locked any that were left away. Um, so great choice there. Um, Varela, why don't you give us, why don't you finish us off here with the uh, the remaining Twitters? Yes, sir. So we got uh, a custody here, Amon Taromakian, uh, giving us a 9 out of 10. Uh, we've also got Doran uh, saying, been a while since I read it, but a solid 8. And that's the two remaining ones. Excellent. And there we go. All of the Thursday ratings done. So I guess we can move on to the... Uh, the main part of the episode. Dawn's knuckle dusters stop typing to me right now in the future. <laughs> you thought I'd forgotten. Look at this for fourth wall breaking. So Dawn's knuckle dusters for the record, everyone has um, started the heresy at the very beginning with no previous, he's, he just picked up the books. That's all he knows. He knows nothing about Warhammer. He just read the book series. Um, he's become a very important and very well-liked community member of ours now um, and is a, a member over on Patreon, which you can join for as little as how much, rather? Uh, I think it's 150 euro, uh, two pound, it's isn't one, it? One pound a month. One pound, one that's pound it. Month. Yeah, I went the wrong way around. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> we're not. That, it's not that dire straits for the UK economy yet. <laughs> uh, we're on the way. Um, so he's not been able to write a Thursday rating yet because he's constantly been working from behind. But he's we we gave had quite a long break and he's he's managed to catch us for the siege and he's finally written his first Thursday rating. So here we go. Poor John French, but lucky John French. You can only imagine the war room debate of who's going to have to set the scene in its entirety, whilst keeping the arcs of all our beloveds hurtling onwards, whilst making sure all ends up with Lupercal staring down at terror. If I hadn't read a few books down the line of the Siege of Terror, I would be awarding Frenchie with an incredibly high score. You'll still get one, but a quick debrief from the Warhammer noob. I feel this is the perfect book given where and what we're left with and mapping out uh, in almost elementary school fashion in terms of planet alignment from Pluto all the way to Earth is a wonderful bit of poetic license. No grudges here. Uh, anything more would require superfluous planning and detail, and Gator don't need that. He needs blood. Do I want Jubal Khan to have a slightly meatier end? Yes. Would I have sacrificed uh, a little less Abaddon backstory for it? Yes. But did the end of the Fortress Moon uh, Kerberos via an incredible trap and our goat Sigismund charging back at them make up for any shortcomings? Emperor, yes. Yes, I wholeheartedly agree. Jubal content, minimize. Sigismund content, maximize. No bias. No. No, no bias. Um, I, adore, I adored the Samos Oliton trap, <laughs> and her consequent death was meaningful in a way that I didn't really see coming. Being reunited with Loken was always going to skyrocket my score. I have never been happier for the 13 Secundus and for the bombs to start falling on terror, but for all the right reasons. 8.811118. So there you go. Bravo. You're in a, a, a elite company now. People who have written Thursday ratings. Um, 
It's only a small percentage of our listeners actually do them. So you're, you're, you're welcome. Welcome to the club. Okay. Solar War. Where do we start off? Start Started off for the second half of this book on a very sad note for me. Because it was the uh, the death of Boreas. Or what's, you know, what's left of him. Oh, the um, second in command of uh, Sigismund, was it? Yeah, not a character I'm really familiar with at all. I feel like he's been in a couple of short stories. Um, so maybe other people had more skin in the game, but this still made me really sad. Um, it's it's racking up the body count, you know. It's, um, uh, you know, it's, this is, this is just setting a, setting a scene that there's not a lot of people are going to make it out of this. There's only a finite number of people who actually are confirmed to be around in 40k and sort of have their future sort of set. So anyone else is a target. And this guy, now you see, Varela, you see why I had to put Little Horace Axamand on Rat of the Year in the <laughs> nomination. Now you get it, don't you, right? Now you get it. I mean, yeah, he was a little bit of a rat, but like, he wasn't that much of a rat, you know? At the end of the day, he's still just fighting the dude, uh, you know? It's kind of... Um, yeah it's just a tp bro <laughs> and um you know not not giving it anything away but the oath that sigismund swears at the end are for boreas you atone by living until the last blow of the sword this is actually a very important line for sigismund during the siege i believe this is um this is this is this is going to become very important and is setting the scene for what Sigismund might become during this book series. Um, maybe Varela, given now we've got the whole book in front of us, we can perhaps... <coughs> oh, dear. Sorry. Uh, that's okay. little jump scare. <laughs> little jump scare for the listeners. Um, I unmuted too fast. I thought it was gone, but it came back. <laughs> we could perhaps look at the way they've rounded off certain arcs now rather than uh, purely going play-by-play, see how everything turned out. Um, so Jubal Khan is a quite a small arc, but I feel like we, we'll give him some time now. Well, while I've still got you relatively healthy and you've got some words left in you. Um, how did this make you feel? Did you think it was, was it was done well? Did you think there's anything that could have been done differently from a law perspective and a writing perspective that you would have liked to have seen or? Do you feel like this is just the price a lot of us are going to have to pay for the Siege of Terror? I, I thought I thought it was well uh, well done, although it was very predictable. <laughs> the moment he's like teaching uh, his well his apprentice in a way, his own inductee, right? Mm. Uh, you kind of realize he's going to die, right? It's that it's that classic cliche moment in movies where the dude goes like, oh, you have to follow your own path now," and then like jumps off a cliff to fight like three hundred dudes, you know. Mm. Um, it, it was kind of obvious to me what was going to happen, but you know, I think Jewel Khan himself is well, very well written, like as a sort of uh, Mr. Miyagi f- figure, uh, was like you know, lessons on the go and stuff. And uh, you know, we, we then see his own lessons at play with Abaddon, you know, because that's the guy he fights. Um, it's just that, uh, as he, as Jubal Khan himself says, Abaddon also knows those lessons, and so eventually he's able to uh, predict one of the strikes uh, and counter it. You know, which is how a lot of battles go. 
you just make one misstep and you die, <laughs> as I said earlier. And that's kind of what happened with him, but not before inflicting, you know, a, a, a decent chunk of damage to Abaddon, I'd like to say, you know. He strikes him like four or five times, uh, if I'm not wrong. Mm. Uh, but yeah. He, he also tr tried to do essentially the Mortarian killing strat, and it also didn't work. <laughs> yeah. Um, so have we got it out for Abaddon now? Uh, do we have it out for Abaddon? No, I, I don't think we have it out for Abaddon. You know, he, he, he gets enough shit already. You know, he, he's failed Abaddon and all. Let him be, bro. It was a good uh, fight. <laughs> well, are you, what's happened? Where's Varela? What do you what's, mean? What's going on? Everything's Varela, fine. Varela, God, I love the Imperial Fists. Yeah. Oh, no. The programming's breaking down. It's uh, <laughs> The bias settings have gone too far. Um yeah, I mean this. This trust me, Eddie. When I say Jubal Khan is a warm-up act for this uh, for the Siege of Terror. Um, yeah, as I've I've sort of given my opinion already. I think this is about this is about leveling up Abaddon now. This is about showing that he's going to get only going to get stronger in terms of combat, and this this sort of this sort of challenge can't can't be a serious issue for him. He can't like have to fight to his last breath just to win this. He needs to sort of be able to confidently beat these sorts of characters now. And that that's not anything against Jubal Khan because Jubal Khan is, as as they say in um uh in the book, a warrior who had fought across the stars and left a reputation that few could hope to touch. Jubal, whom he had met on the spires of Nisek just before the counterattack by the Archdrake's Horde, the Lord of Summer Lightning, the Death That Laughs, and here he was, a Lord of War left to fight almost alone in the, the Abyss, left to fight and to die here. And um, yeah, I think I think we do get a really cool duel. It's this sort of intimate fight within the, the wider absolute chaos of the solar system. Um. And apart from the fact Lyak's there, kind of ruining the moment, we need this. In terms of gunning for people, we need this guy gone ASAP, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's Lyak, bro. I just wish Abaddon would have just, you know, cut his head off or something and been done with it. Because then Jubal would have defeated Abaddon in a way. Because Jubal knew he was going to die anyways. He would have killed him. Mm. <laughs> so, you know. Rat squared. Yeah, at the end of the day, it wasn't uh, as one-sided as you're saying, because Jubal just needed to, like, slow him down, and he succeeded in it. Mm. He, he was about to win right there. Like, if he killed Abaddon, imagine the blow that would have been after Horus dies. Uh, after something happens to Horus. <laughs> okay, cut that get that bit off. I have a little bit okay. of a beat. You're okay. I think you're okay. No, there's some people that, some people that might not know. Uh, oh, there, you make my life difficult, Varela. <laughs> All this editing I have to do on your behalf. It's um, at a minute thirty-nine. There you go. <laughs> thank you. A little um, bit of a beep. So, yeah. So that sort of Jubal Khan's little wrap-up. It's not a massive part of his story. I think it's just those sort of things and Boreas. It's just setting the no one's safe. We might kill. We might spend 
five pages on your favorite character and that five pages might be them meeting their demise. That's basically, that's that's just the hard truth of this book series because we got a clean house. We got a clean house now, haven't we? Yeah, there um, can't be much after the, the heresy, right? <laughs> absolutely. Um, well, I mean, I think there's three Imperial Fists from the Siege that I know of who make it to 40k. That's it. So anyone else? Anyone else is... And I'm not going to say who, who else. Um, who I know three one are. at least. Yeah. Um, oh, I know of two actually. God damn yeah, it. <laughs> there you go. Look at you. You know all the lore. Um, so moving on to another massive arc is the... Thousand Sons and the Word Bearers. Let's get the rats out of the way. Because you just call Aramid... Thousand Sons rats? rats? No, because it's Word Bearers as well. Hmm. The Thousand Sons and the Word Bearers hop onto a comet. Um, this this is more of a heist, right? You'd sort of predicted that... Was it where you predicted that Abaddon and Lyak were going to attempt to steal the moon? That is correct, is in what yeah. I thought was it. I thought I might have set you up to see what they would get up to. But um, yeah, so Araman and the word bearers, basically they use their cheat codes, don't they? To turn this whole solar war thing on its head. Do you want to elaborate a little bit on what they get up to? I mean, they essentially commit looting, an act of looting on a comet that used to be guarded by word bearers. Uh Magically turned, by the way, at the beginning of the heresy. I guess they were planted there after Lorgar was already corrupted. What, what do you think? What do you think happened there? Well, I think they're all purged, aren't they? Isn't it implied no. that the word bearers were all killed? Yeah, yeah, they they were yeah. all purged. But like, how how do you how do you explain the fact that they were corrupted? Like that the Imperial Fist had to fight mm. through the comet. Yeah, when so many so... other traitor forces are on Terra, and don't do that. <laughs> Um, I, well, I think, um, the, are the dead word bearers used at all as part of a ritual, if I recall? No, because they, they get cleaned out. No, so I just wondered if they're, like, their souls were used or something, like, if they needed to die on the comet as a sacrifice for later on. Uh, I, I do think they say that the blood spilled on the comet was enough, so I guess it counts. Yeah. Uh, is so there they... a statute of limitations on blood spilled? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, um... So there is there is that and um the I I mean ultimately Lorgar enacts his, his no no plan about forty years he starts planning it, doesn't he, before the actual heresy. Is it that so, far back? I, I don't realize Yeah, it's dec it's definitely like multiple decades of planning and implementation which is sort of what it would take i think um so then there's so there's absolutely scope for these word bearers to have, have been given their job and sent to that comet or or given updated orders um because the word bearers really do very very single digits of them actually turn against Lorgar, right in terms of what we've seen in the books even the people who hate him do what he wants, as we saw in No No Fear. Right? Argel Tal, my beloved. <laughs> um, I feel like Argel Tal becomes a little bit disenfranchised at one towards the end. But I'm yeah. talking about that one right at the start of No No Fear, you know, the one at the dinner. 
with the ultramarine and they're like friends and he keeps going like oh i asked to join the advance um and then he kicks it all off do you remember that yeah he's kind of reluctant and he's almost trying to warn the ultramarine is he actively that, says like right? i hate lorga and the ultramarine's like what you can't say that and then the guy's like but i so i asked to join the advance because he's basically he basically wants out yeah um, but he can't bring himself to turn against Lorgar. So even if these Comet dudes were just like, got a message, it's got an email and we're like, time to be bad. Just stay on the Comet. And, you know, these are the, these are the people we fight now. Um, That might've been enough, but what does the actual, what, what does, what does Araman's sorcery actually do for the solar war? I don't, I'm gonna be real with you. I do not remember. Is it the what opens the portal? Yeah, so it okay. opens. It opens the warp portal. Is is it above the solar plane? To allow. Oh, okay. So above the solar plane, you got Horus coming in. That's right. Because the whole time in this book, they're like, "Well, where is he?" Yeah, I, I think it's like either under or like on the solar plane, but it's just really close to Terra. Yeah. Um. It is basically. He's basically Horus no no clips in, which is a video game term, isn't it? He's gonna end up in the back rooms. I can't believe it. Um, I mean, oh, well, that's a good way to describe the warp. The warp <laughs> True. Is just very vibrant back rooms, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so yeah, Horus basically enters play, slap, bang right above Terra, throwing a massive spanner in everyone's works, and yeah, basically, game over now for for any chance to even. You know, it's clear that there was some masterful defensive work in motion, but I don't think even, as we said earlier, even without this warp stuff, if Horus gets the vengeful spirit in somewhere safely, to, along with the main Sons of Horus fleet, into the solar plane without it getting like destroyed on arrival, he's probably going to win. The vengeful spirit is a massively powerful ship. Um, Perturabo's got a massive war fleet. There's a massive fleet coming in at Pluto. If Horus gets in at either of those points, the Solar War is going to end in a traitor victory. It was maybe just a question of time. Um, it is fine. And that's ultimately Dawn's aim, right? Is Dawn is just like, I need to slow. I don't need to win. I need to slow. Yeah, he's and trying Hor to stall him out. And Horus knows that. And Horus is like, I need to win. And I need to win quickly. And I need to win so totally that there's nothing for Gilliman to even attempt to reclaim. So this was an absolute necessity to basically basically bypass the solar defences. And he just plops in at, at, um, uh, um, above Terra. And that sort of becomes the tipping point. Um, we also have the fall of Luna in this book, don't we? I believe. No, we don't. We have the initial drop. Uh, we have the okay. Fallen Luna, I assume, in Sons of the Selenar, which I we, haven't read yet. We will get to look at that. But yeah, we yeah. just sort of, Do we have a bit of Lyak and uh, Abaddon action in this book on Luna? Uh, I'm not I'm not sure. Hold up. Let me look at the yeah. end of it. <laughs> yeah, because we get to fight... This right towards the end of a book, isn't it? The As the Sons of Horus are kind of really establishing themselves above Terra, um, Abaddon does deploy to Luna... So, you weren't far wrong. He's stealing the moon from the loyalists. He is stealing the moon, it's true. 
Well, yeah, maybe not steal it. Maybe not in the sense that Gru was going to steal the moon in Despicable Me. Well, so true, like, right? That could I still think, be true. <laughs> um, Malkador could have potentially stolen the moon. He stole Titan. Um, true. But yeah, they, they fight all sorts of strange beasts. Oh yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Uh, oh, he's fighting... Yeah, yeah, so they do land on uh, on Luna... And they, uh, okay, okay. I remember now that I'm, I've read a little bit of it. Uh, they land on Luna and they try to talk to the, uh, like, Mother Supreme of the Selenar kind of kind of deal. And essentially they have to fight through a bunch of servitors that are made uh, in the manner of, like, Terran beasts. And somehow neither of them dies, even though they're, like, all about, oh, these things are, like, the most lethal things out there. <laughs> and neither of them even get, like, that hurt, I don't think. And then they just kind of come up to the to the lady, I guess. Just go like, yo, you want to join us? She's like, no. Okay, we'll just kill you then. She's like, oh, wait, 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 wait. That's probably our most used gif between us. Yeah. <laughs> the two of us is the, uh, the Punisher gif of wait, 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 wait. Um, yeah. So the, the, and hope I'm sure we'll we. We'll, it does seem like we'll see more of Luna. In Sons of a Selenar. After all, that's kind of Selenar is the clues in the name, isn't it? Um, Sigismund basically pulls some epic drive-bys right above uh, Terror towards the end as well. Don't I'm just going to get that freebie in there. Um, you know, um, and he tries to sort of gather whoever's left. That's the only thing I feel like was kind of missing from this book. And I'm going to address it because you'll see it is sort of there's not a lot of in between now for the loyalist perspective. So the second book really looks at like how the traitors actually go about landing on terror. Um, who's, you know, who goes first, etc. But like all the loyalists are just sort of there. There's no, I think there'd be some really cool opportunities for sort of like the last. Because Rogaldorn's organized everything, hasn't he? Um, including the the phalanx is going to be sent away to potentially. Does it say? I don't want to spoil anything, but does it say why the phalanx is potentially is going away? What it might potentially do later on? So essentially, they want to. From what I got, at least, they want to keep a naval. One of their plans is to keep a naval corridor in case the emperor needs to be uh, evacuated. Which everybody goes like, that's probably not going to happen. Uh, even if we try it but the other thing is so it keeps fighting so it keeps weakening uh the naval forces of the um of the traders uh and to eventually regroup of gilliman to then you know drive all the way through to terra yeah i mean i love the escape plan again it's completely built on the fact that dawn doesn't actually know what's going on yeah um but the emperor like the planet basically is going to explode if the emperor gets off that chair almost you know, for any prolonged period anyway. The Emperor can't leave Terra. That's the gist. Um, or the whole thing goes kaboom. But let's face it, McCrag is much nicer than Terra anyway. So why the Emperor's not just moving over there, I do not know. I don't know, man. I think McCrag's got some uh, recent memories of war crimes right now. Oh yeah, that's true. We don't talk about the line. <laughs> um, yeah, so I would have quite liked to see perhaps... Dawn has a plan of who's going where, right? So there would have been like perhaps some a moment where he'd been like, right, anyone that's not tasked to go over Phalanx to the edge of a galaxy, 
or sorry, at the edge of a soul system, deployed to de- to terror now by any means. And you would have all of these like loyalists just basically, you'd basically be like orbital assaulting, doing like a soft orbital assault on the Imperial Palace almost before the traitors arrived. Like literally, you could have had like Sigismund embroiled in battle and like he's really wound up about Boreas and like Fafniran's like, we, we're needed on terror. And they literally drop pod a, onto terror because it's the only way now they're going to get off there as they're like ships explode around them. That would have been, a, it, I really would have liked to have seen a little bit of that somewhere. Just like the last gasps of the loyalists going down to terror wouldn't have had any way to do it in an organized manner. And it would have just been this absolute rush to get right. Okay, we've done everything we can. Anyone that can shoot a gun that's not part of the escape plan is going to terror now any way you can. Good luck. See you there, Papa Dawn. You know? I mean, I got to give the writers some um, some room here because if you really think about uh, having read a little bit ahead on a, a different book, we do know that there is no way to land troops on Terra. Yeah. You know? They could have... So, yeah. like, I mean, you got to give yeah. them some leeway because how, how would they go about it? You know, how would they go about this deployment? Um. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, they box box themselves in more than anything, but um, yeah, I mean, that would have also been cool. Sigismund has to drop pod three days away from the Imperial Palace and walk or something, you know, um, or just been or like been picked up by a gunship or something. Uh, I, I'm I'm overthinking it, but I just feel like that would have been something quite cool to see. Just sort of like Sigismund or Dawn, just getting ready to fly to terror and just sort of they've seen no matter how hard they've tried it's sort of like the finality of it you know oh actually i i just thought of a scene that would have been both hilarious and very you know a a very good depiction of just the complete desperation that the loyalists are in right now imagine he does drop like three days away from uh from the imperial palace right uh, he doesn't really have any vehicles or anything, so he just hops on the back of like a truck full of pilgrims, or um, yeah, not pilgrims yet, like uh, evacuees at that point. And so he's it. just, yeah, he's just a space marine in like a truck in like a flatbed. Flatbed. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's like uh, that. That's a that happens in a film I really like um, called Behind Enemy Lines, um, almost, but it's not a space marine. It's Owen Wilson, uh, and he's a wow. He's an F- yeah, exactly. That's what he says when the uh, Serbian missiles are flying in at his F-18. That's the whole point huh. of the story is he's sort of over Kosovo and um, him and his... Uh, he's he's like the weapon system operator in the back of the F-18 and him and his pilot spot something they shouldn't have um, and basically get shot down for it. And he has to like go all the way through war turn, that war, Western Balkans to escape. And he ends up like at one point just in a uh, in a flatbed truck with a load of sort of militia men and women that happen to be on his side. Um, so that, but Sigismund would have been really funny. Uh, yeah. Was, so he'd be like, is this going to the Imperial Palace? It is now. Um, <laughs> so that's a really fine tooth comb that I'm picking with here, but I uh, maybe would have, maybe could have been a nice little addition. Um, so speaking of the phalanx and stuff, the final and perhaps most major sort of actual story beat through this book is Mercedes Ollerton, I would argue, in terms of like a genuine character look. There's not really any other character that gets as much attention and like a genuine arc in this book than Mercedes Ollerton. Would you agree? 
Yeah, no, and honestly, I always say this, but human characters, they're the best characters, right? They're, that's just how it is. I can i can relate to these people. I can't relate to a space marine. Well, yeah. with some exceptions. Um, that's yeah. consensus, right? Is like, if you divert... Now, the space marines in Horus Heresy are a little bit more enlightened, aren't they? And a little bit less indoctrinated than, say, 40k. They've got a little bit more free will. But, like, Loken is like... Loken's a sweet spot, but it's very hard. It's very hard to write some, find that sweet 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 spot without making another Loken in it. Yesuge, Yesuge, yeah, but Yesuge is almost like he's almost too departed. He doesn't really feel like a space marine too often to me. Yeah, because he's a he's a psyker. That's the main reason why I think he's yeah. more like carefree and stuff. You know, that's just kind of my point. Is like, it's very. It, without almost just making the character a human character in power armor uh you know loken like as we as we were saying his conversations with mercedes in the opening books are all about like trying to find trying to walk the line between humanity but also his duties as an astartes and it's like that's a very fine margin to hit right so i think that's why in the horus heresy the human characters are almost always the best because they can really play with their emotions. Whereas the space Marines, even in the Horus heresy don't have much wiggle room without just becoming human characters in power armor. I would say, I suppose so. I suppose so. Um, um, so yeah, Mercedes, you know, we left her on the ship. You had a prediction that, uh, this was a Euphrates Keeler sort of reaching out through the warp and, and guiding her to safety because, uh, certain people, Definitely not the venerable Sigilite had decided that she was too dangerous to be kept alive because she was on a ship with people who had had contact with the Warmaster himself. Um, and that ship was to be purged given the Warmaster's imminent arrival. Um, that ship, she she escapes that one, lands on another ship that's, a, that's fled uh, Uranus. That ship then gets boarded by more Sigilite's men. Um, and... Um, she somehow sort of survives that and is picked up by Garville Loken, taken to the Phalanx. And that's where we see a character that we've not seen in a fairly long time. Probably been about... It was tw- um, it's been a while since we saw Samus, right? No, no fear. Uh, he, what, was he a no, no fear? I mean, Yeah, very he... briefly. He, uh, you do remember... Ventanus sort of rounds up a lot of loyalists at like an old manor house thing. Yeah. And they defend it. And Samus infiltrates through someone there. I think through a word bearer. Uh, but Ventanus actually dispatches him quite easily. Um, or, you know, as far as greater demons go. Yeah. Ventanus kills him in true ultramarines fashion, I would, uh, is what I would say. for In, in 40k ultramarine fashion. Ventanas killed Samus in that book so quite easily. But Samus is back with a vengeance. Mercedes Ollerton has been infiltrated. Um, was it ever Mercedes at all? That's a real question. Um, and Samus manifests himself on the flagship of the Imperial Fists and all hell breaks loose. Um, what did you think of this twist, Varela? I think there's some very subtle hints earlier in the book about it potentially being Samus, maybe like some references to someone being all around you and stuff like that. Yeah. Did you, did you see this one coming? 
I did not at all. Like, it, it, looking back, it, it feels kind of obvious, but it really isn't. It's like, you know, um, those pictures where there's like a, a big cat or something, like camouflaged into, or like a snake or something, camouflaged into the background, and you like uh, search for it for like 30 minutes, and then when you spot it, you can't unsee it, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I think it's exactly that. Like it's it's right there in plain sight, right? But you can't see it <laughs> until you actually know about it. Uh, like the um, the navigator, um, even when he's talking to Mercedes, like he's never acknowledged by anyone else, and it seems like he's never there if there's too many people around Mercedes, you know. Uh, and he just kind of disappears at times, and then she asks someone directly about him, and the guy goes like, "Who?" <laughs> Um, and it was definitely someone that would know about him. Um, and you just have all these little, like, hints, essentially, um, that that guy isn't real and something else is going on. You you know, you'd never, I don't think you'd ever be able to necessarily pinpoint Samus, even though he's always there, you know, he says it himself, he's the man next to you and all, all that sort of gibberish. Um, like the the clues were there right if you really really looked into it you might have been able to see it um but i wasn't <laughs> i for sure wasn't i i, I have been ambushed by the uh, snow leopard in the mountain you know i uh i couldn't see him <laughs> absolutely and now that i've already seen him it's too late <laughs> and now you need a golden hero to protect you um so luckily for us loyalists the phalanx there happens to be a certain primarch on board but man is he giving a run for his money because again rogal dawn hasn't dealt with any of this sort of stuff yet and now suddenly there's a big great red demon thing on board his flagship um he's beat he's beaten up pretty badly i would say uh, by samus but luckily as we said earlier He'd locked all of his librarians in a box on board the uh, on board the uh, the phalanx, and they sort of take one look at this giant demon thing on board and say, "Now those guys that we locked in a box kind of make sense." Um, and they are they are released. They are. It's a pretty badass moment. Slight bias, but that it's true Imperial Fist fashion. There's no moaning. It's literally like, right, we need to basically, you basically need to go sacrifice yourselves now to save a Praetorian who you haven't seen in seven years. Go. And they're like, okay, okay. It's like, uh, it's like, um, do you remember the SNL sketches with Chad? Yeah. Okay. 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 <laughs> um, so yeah, literally just um, these librarians are able to, to do sort of that vision quest thing that they, that they like to do. Uh, and aid Rogal Dawn in banishing Samus once again. But do we think he will be back? That's the real question. I mean, they didn't even banish Samus. That's okay. that's the re- that's the real deal. Like as that's, uh, that's very true. That's very as true. the uh, chief librarian, I, I I think says as he dies, um, that's not the real guy, <laughs> and he, he, he realizes, oh wait, no, like. Maybe we screwed up. Maybe we shouldn't sacrifice ourselves here. Maybe we should have focused somewhere else because the real Samus is still inside uh, Mercedes Oliton, who is now being attended to by uh, 
big man, uh, you know, knight in shining armor, uh, mm. Loken in the engine room, if I'm not wrong, right? Um, and Mer- Mercedes Allerton, being the badass she is, uh, for a long ass head, um, is fighting back against Samus, and that's a really cool scene, in my opinion, um, where it shows that kind of, you know, at the end of the day, all of these books, uh, as well as the setting in general, I think put a lot of emphasis into like the uh just uh you know you know that meme um uh, where it's just like the uncaring nature of the universe versus the um uh oh what's that's the name of it the untenable is it no no like the, the human no nature idea. thing you don't know no Hold idea up. of this one <laughs> i mean there's no point showing it to me because this is an audio only podcast yeah no but you yeah. can see it but you know there, there's there's that whole meme and i think the whole setting is about that about how humans persevere essentially um and you, we about, see that in sorry. all of them you know yeah very go on. true very true no i was going to talk about something a little bit irrelevant um basically at the end of the book there is a little bit of what i was sort of saying in all fairness, sort of Rogel, ro- sort of seeing Rogel Dawn arrive amid the chaos of what's about to become the Siege of Terror. Um, so there's a little bit of it. I would have thought they would have been very cool to just see some like drop pods or something having to land on the planet you're defending. That would have been quite cool. Um, anyway, Mercedes Ollerton, absolutely. Um, it's it's showing humanity versus chaos, right? Yeah, that's basically um, what we're all fighting for. And at the end of the day, humanity with sacrifice and care will always triumph uh, over that of a warp. And that's what we have to aspire to do. Um, So we, sadly, as a very strong opener, say goodbye to a mainstay of uh, of the series. Um, Someone, you know, at least to the opening trilogy, was critical, critical and incredible character in the opening trilogy. And uh, this is all going into Loken's what I would call angry bank that I think will get unleashed perhaps later down the line. Um, Cerberus moment. <laughs> I yeah I don't I could fully see him potentially going back to Cerberus at some state. I'm hoping he's over it. Um, so uh, yeah, the that sort of all the main arcs. The book sort of ends with Horus now triumphantly standing over terror ready to go to ready to go for it and then um finally one of those warp images a little bit again um with horus telling the emperor to run and hide um because basically does in the in terms of a warp he runs away from horus um well yeah I, I do like uh, as well. I'm not sure if we talked about this in the first part, but there's th- these scenes where uh, there's this warrior in like resplendent golden armor and the warp, and then there's this old man. And at some point, it's revealed that the old man is actually the emperor, and the like massive warrior is Malkador. And you go like, "Wait is a that minute!" In this book? I think it's in this book, isn't it? Because I, I, that... I want to say it's in um, Lost in the Damned, and that you might have. <laughs> no, sorry. Ready. Lost in the Damned? Have I started reading? Have I? Well, that's, oh, yeah, the, I next, have. that's the next main book. A little bit of a spoiler for you. <laughs> um, yeah, I think luckily everyone who's listening to this is probably up to date. Even Hopefully. though these are new, <laughs> new-ish, 
I think the Solar War still came out in 2019. So I feel like most people have, and these have been incredibly accessible. So most people are probably up to date. Um, uh, just, yeah. just real quick, before we do wrap it up, I, I want you to look at Discord real quick. I, I, saw, I saw it. Yeah, I yeah. Saw it. <laughs> in our favorite format. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, this, this has been an absolute blast to start off with. And I think... For me, the void warfare is almost is really cool, but is almost lost. I I do actually find myself more drawn to the sort of actual character stuff in this book. Sort of now seeing where we we're gonna end up, and you know maybe it's just because going into this series, I just sort of accepted that the backdrop of this of every book is now just gonna be unfathomable warfare, right? Yeah. I mean, I can see that, yeah. I've always been happy for the character side, you know. <laughs> I'm just a connoisseur like that, but, you know, yeah. if that's what you right. say. <laughs> um, yeah, make us sound more pretentious, please. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, no, we're talk- I mean, we, we talked in the first episode about Jagatai Khan's interaction with Suka-san. I think that's a really strong moment in the book. Um, again, never mentioned again about her daughter, is it? Uh, you know, um it would still have been later you know um yeah but at least within this book it would have been an easy get for like suka-san to be on board the phalanx commanding and then a ship comes into view and it hails the phalanx and it's like hello mummy and it's uh it's her now evil daughter and she has to decide what to do and fight her own daughter um i think that would have been she'd get but no this is just like this is just the world they live in now it's just like yeah the whole galaxy has been consumed by war if you haven't heard from a family member in six months, they're probably on a planet that's been blown up. That's basically the long and short of this book, right? Of the book series now. Um, now, don't get me wrong. There's going to be some incredible battles coming up. Some incredible battles that are infinitely badass. But for the most part, I have sort of accepted that there's just always going to be explosions in the background. Um, and some books will handle it better than others. But the characters and the and any potential twists and um, the cool interactions between characters that we know from across this series who might not even have met before, before the siege of terror, but are now going to potentially fight each other. And there's going to have to be a winner declared in that moment. Cause the siege is that fast paced and it's game of Thrones time, but early game of Thrones when anyone could die on a whim, that is what we've been established in this opening book, not just purely ship explosions which i think would have been an easy an easy get um so yeah absolutely smashed it with this one um we'll be coming soon with the sons of a selenar which will only be one episode so keep an eye out for the thursday ratings for that and then it will be on to lost in the damned which up until three or four books later perhaps up, up until well it this lost in the damned sat in my top three for most of the book series um, and I think I might be outside of the, I, that might be a bit of an outside of the norm there, but I really, really looking forward to running that by that one by you as well. And Sons of a Selenar by GMAC as well. I'm excited to see what the Sons of a Sisyphane get up to, which I think is going to be very exciting. Varela, do you have any closing remarks on this book? Yeah, you were talking about like fights and stuff, and I'm looking at the cover of my Warhawk book and I, I can't help but feel there's a book before that and I feel there's a character missing. What's happened there? What? 
like on Warhawk, you know, there's like Jagatai Khan, there's Mortarian. Isn't there meant to be like a third guy? Like what's happened there, you know? I don't know what you're talking about, and you might potentially be spoiling. I'm, it might, I, it might, it might be in Schizo. <laughs> I think you might need to evade, and we will have, we'll have that discussion in post. I think we're just going to evade, and I'm going to not try and pick apart the subtext there. <laughs> um, so, um, uh, on on the real, uh, I do have to thank the Patreons. Thanks a lot, guys, for uh, supporting our little podcast here. I'm sorry for uh, for the wait um for episode one and this one as well as well as the lackluster i I have to admit uh content drops on patreon we're going to try and resume those as fast as possible we've already uploaded uh an episode of lil horrors uh our uh yesterday was it i want to say it was yesterday Uh, by the time this episode comes out it recently 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 Recently. Uh, and and we're also going to be doing a dive into the law of the Siege of Caphonia, this in it. so it'll be a twofer on Patreon this month uh, because yes. the Siege of Caphonia has got some absolutely awesome lore, uh, including um, orbital drop fortresses, uh, which I can't wait to talk about. Like a prefab fortress, but from yeah. space. Yes. Okay, that's 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 cool. Yeah, there's only one legion that can make them. Um, yeah, <laughs> thank you so much for thank you Varela for doing the Patreon address. And um, is there a special Patreon you want to thank? Yes, uh, as always, Sal's. Thank you for uh, being our little Primark here. Um, couldn't have done it without you, bro. Thanks for the support. Incredible, <laughs> incredible support. Incredible support. And on that note, we're just going to have to wait and see what comes next in Sons of the Selenar. It is goodbye from me and from Varela. I'll see you. Bye now. <laughs>